Please follow along in Matthew 6, 5 through 15. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are, and when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Back in the day when I was little, I used to have to take allergy shots. Anybody have that pleasant experience in their past? It was a great time. Um, And when my mom would take me out to the to the hospital on base where we lived. My dad was in the Air Force. And we would sit in the waiting room awaiting the inevitable. And uh, we would, you know, to lighten the mood, Mom and I would read the funny parts of Reader's Digest. Remember those? Like, all in a day's work, life in these United States. Do they still have that? Is that a thing anymore? I used to love those. There were these stories that people would send in, of, you know, just funny stories, and it was a lot more fun than the allergy shot, I can promise you. Well, here's one of my favorites. I was reminded of this recently. Um, a couple was visiting down south. They were traveling, and they visited a church while they were gone. And up toward the front row, there was a little boy who... Um, kind of was crossing that line between rambunctious and disruptive, right? And so dad decided it was time to take this little guy out of the service because he couldn't calm him down. And as soon as dad grabbed this guy, the kid apparently freaked because everybody knows what happens when dad takes you out of church and it's not good. And he was struggling to try to get away and the dad was kind of flustered and just put him under his arm like this and was walking out of this large auditorium and the kid was kind of hollering and yelling and kicking and screaming until just before they got to the doors to leave the auditorium and in a very clear southern drawl the kid said y'all pray for me now okay <laughs> I, I love that story it's funny but unfortunately you think about it, it might be a, a closer illustration of your prayer life than you would like to admit. Tell me if this sounds familiar. I just kind of do my own thing, 
through life sort of ignore God. I may shoot up a little prayer here or there, but don't have much in the way of a prayer life until there is some kind of significant disruption in my life. And all of a sudden I want to tap into the power of prayer. Does that sound familiar? Not because I want to connect my heart to the heart of the God of the universe, because I would like the God of the universe to fix whatever this disruption is to my life and my circumstances. It's not that it's wrong to take those significant disruptions to the Lord in prayer. It's it's not wrong. He wants us to. But when those times are surrounded by long periods of relative prayerlessness, it's just not healthy spiritually. We skipped today's passage last week. We studied what came before it and what came after it. And intentionally, I skipped this little passage. It is a part of a greater context that really has a different main point than what we will talk about today. Matthew chapter 6 began with this verse. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is in the middle, about the halfway point of his uh, famous sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount. The beginning of chapter 6, Jesus said this, Be careful not to display your righteousness merely to be seen by people. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. And then Jesus used, just gave three things as examples that people often do that seem like a good thing to be doing. And in fact, they are good things to do, but people in his day tended to use those just to be, I'm doing it because I want other people to see me doing it so that my reputation will be increased, so that other people might think I'm a good guy, or in your case, a good gal. And Jesus used giving as an example like that. And fasting, we we studied those two last week. And then in the middle, he said prayer. In his day, apparently there were people who liked to pray publicly because people made people think they were more spiritual or more moral or whatever. What's interesting, though, is when Jesus talked about giving and fasting, he didn't really stop to give any instructions about how we should be doing those things. He didn't tell us last week how much to give or what causes to give to, right? He just said, don't give so that people see you and think you're more generous. But when he gets to prayer, he says, don't do it so other people can see you. But then he stops and he says, I just, I just have to teach a little bit on prayer. So that's why I save this for its own little sermon because Jesus takes kind of a time out from the main point of this passage and is going to give us some instructions for prayer. First, he assumes his followers will be doing it, which is a little convicting already. And then Jesus is going to teach us these three things. He's going to teach us about the motive and the manner and the content of our prayers. There's a three-point sermon this morning. I'm usually not that organized, but if you, if, you're an, if you like organization, this is your day. The motive, the manner, 
and the content of our prayers is what Jesus is going to teach us about today. We start in verses 5 and 6, where Jesus really talks about the main point of that bigger paragraph. And he tells us the motives for our prayers should be private. And maybe better than private, maybe I should have said inward. We're supposed to be inwardly motivated to pray, not like the hypocrites of his day who used prayer to seem, uh, like I said, more, more moral or or whatever. Jesus says we should be more willing to pray, he says, in an inner room of your home, and those in the house of the normal person and the first century Israel, an inner room just would have been someplace with no windows. Right? So it really no no one could have seen you praying if you went into an inner room. Now what does this mean? What does this not mean? You don't have to have a an actual prayer closet. If you do, it's okay. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's just saying you should be as willing and as motivated to pray when no one's around as you are willing or motivated to pray when someone is around. Our motives should be, should be inward. Now, what does it not mean? Jesus does, is not outlawing or prohibiting any prayer in public or corporately. How do we know this? Because if you just read this about prayer, you might think that. If anybody can see me praying, God doesn't like it. But the rest of the Bible shows us that's not true. Uh, Jesus himself in chapter 14, before he feeds a large crowd of people miraculously, what does he do? He prays and thousands of people see him pray. In the book of Acts, the early church prayed corporately a lot. Uh, We can pray when other people are, are around and still be motivated inwardly rather than outwardly. I ask our our elders, well, Max had to get up here and pray in front of you this morning. Trust me, none of our elders are motivated by liking you hearing them pray. (laughs) They, as a matter of fact, they would just assume at that point that you weren't in here while they were praying out loud. But they are motivated to, uh, to lead us together in prayer. Um, and so I do, you know, I, I, they want to do that. So all public prayer, all corporate prayer isn't prohibited here. But we do learn this. If the bulk of your times in prayer are just when you're with other people and they happen to pray, if that's the bulk of your prayer life, you're missing out on what prayer is supposed to be. Because the motives for prayer are to be private, are to be inward, and we take us with us when the prayer meeting ends. If we have that motive, we'll pray on our own as well. All right, that's the motive, inward. The manner of prayer comes next. In verses 7 and 8, Jesus uh, addresses uh, not the words that we're to pray, that comes in a minute, but just the, the style of the words that we use. I think the main lesson in verses 7 and 8 is that Jesus teaches that our prayers are supposed to be conversational in nature. He says in verse 7, when we pray that we are not to, and then your Bible may translate it one of a number of different ways. On the screen it says, when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition. That's the New American Standard. Your Bible might say, do not babble repetitiously. 
Do not use vain repetition. Do not babble endlessly. Do not heap up empty phrases. All those things mean the same thing. Now I want to take some of the pressure off your prayer life. Because obviously you read that and say, well, Jesus just doesn't like this mindless repetition. How many of you have ever thought, oh man, in my prayer life I find myself saying the same things over and over and over. Again, I want to take some of the pressure off there. Jesus wants us to be conversational in our prayer, in our prayers, and repeating yourself is okay. I've talked to lots of you. Guess what? You're pretty repetitive all the time. How many of you, in talking to your friends, find yourself talking about the same things? How many of you have certain catchphrases, words, and things that you say over and over again when you're talking to your friends and your family? That's okay. That's okay. Um, all repetition isn't meaningless. When I was teaching school or coaching, I had certain things I would say, and my, the kids I taught or coached could finish my saying before I got to the end of it. I had a sign in my room late in my teaching career that said, you need to learn to want to do what you need to do. If I started, if you found one of my students and said, you need to learn to want to do, they would say, what you need to do, what is wrong with you? Where have I heard that before? Why are you saying that to me? Here's what it means. Part of growing up is getting out of that habit where I only do what I feel like doing. Right? Part of being responsible is figuring out what I need to do and wanting to do what I need to do. Right? That was very repetitive. But it wasn't meaningless. Um, I'll embarrass my children now. If you go to one of my kids and start saying this, if I could pick any girl in the whole wide world to be my little girl, who would I pick? If you say that to Adelaide, she will say, she will, first she'll roll her eyes so hard they might actually fall out of her head. <laughs> then she'll say, you pick me. Or you could say that same, the same thing was said except don't say girl. It would be confused. Um, they can finish that because that was repetitive on purpose. It was repetitive. It wasn't meaningless. I tell my, my wife, I love her in a lot of the same ways. It's not meaningless just because it's repetitive. In fact, sometimes the more intimate you are with someone, the more repetitive you get. Hang out with teenagers. They say the same things over and over and over. But if you're not a part of that little group, you have no idea what they're talking about. It's repetitive. But it's not meaningless. I say the same prayer every week when I start writing a sermon. It's repetitive. It's not meaningless. I say the same prayer when I forgive people. It's repetitive. It's not meaningless. Jesus wants your prayers with him to be conversational. You know, at the, in verse 8 where he says, God knows what you need before you ask him does that kind of seem out of place there don't babble on repetitively God already knows what you want here's what I think Jesus is saying God doesn't need if God didn't make you a creative speaker who just has windy phrases roll off your tongue 
then God doesn't need you to be that when you talk to him. He knows what you need anyway. He just wants to talk to you. He wants to hear it from you. All right, so if God knows what I need before I ask, why do I have to pray? Reason one, because he told you to. Reason two, James says, God has decided in his sovereignty to not give us everything he would ordinarily give us when we haven't what? When we haven't asked. James said, you do not have because you have not asked. Um, and a third reason why we pray, this is very brief. There's lots of other reasons. Sometimes what we think we need and what, we, what God and his sovereignty and omnipotence uh, or omniscience, what we think we need and what he knows we need are different things. And prayer is where I go to make my heart match his. But we don't have to be fancy orators when we pray. We just have to be real. Prayer is a conversation comes from what's truly in my heart and it comes from an inward desire to have my heart heard and read by God and and begin to match his all right so so far Jesus has told us um, that our prayers to be motivated inwardly supposed to be conversational you know what the the greatest irony of this passage is <laughs> here's the main teaching is you know be motivated inwardly be conversational in prayer and then Jesus says if you have those down I want to give you a framework so that you can use this to make individualized prayers because I don't want you to just babble mindlessly like the Gentiles. And when Jesus said Gentiles, he was talking about people who worshiped weird gods and, and spirits and all this stuff. And they had these mantras and things they said over and over again that if I said the magic words, I'll get some benefit out of it. Jesus, I don't want you to do that. So I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a scaffolding, a framework. You remember what Mad Libs were? Anybody do Mad Libs when they were a kid? Aren't those the things where you read this thing and it would tell you, put a noun in here. Right? Put an adverb in here. And then you had to go ask somebody what an adverb was because you didn't know. And you'd put those words in and it would make a funny story. The Lord's Prayer is a little bit like Mad Libs in that Jesus was giving us like a template that we could plug our own information into the Lord's Prayers and avoid prayers that were mindlessly repetitive. And then what did we do with the Lord's Prayer? We go to a church and we all stand up and we mindlessly repeat what Jesus gave us to avoid mindless repetition. By by the way, did you notice when Dennis was reading the part at the end, for, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever is in, was in brackets on the screen. It's probably in brackets in your Bible or there's a footnote in your Bible alluding that it probably wasn't there originally. Some of your Bibles don't even have it in there. It wasn't originally there. You know why it got put there? Because when the church started saying, hey, we're supposed to pray this, it got to the end of it and was like, well, Jesus didn't do a very good job with the conclusion, so we need to help. 
Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a reason that wasn't there. Because we weren't, this wasn't a finished product. It was to avoid mindless repetition. So we're going to go through what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father to see what, briefly, what it is. We could, we could study every part, every part of this for a week on its own, but Jesus says, if you've got the first two things down, if you've got the right motivation for prayer and you know that prayer is supposed to be conversational and not just mindless. Uh, it's a lot easier to just do memorized prayers, right? I mean, it's a lot easier to just get one that somebody's told me I'm supposed to say over and over, uh, 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 done, right? Jesus said, no, let's, when you pray, and then he gives us this, an address, a way of addressing God, And then three you petitions, which means three things we ask for that are about God rather than being about us. And then three we petitions, three things that we ask, three ways to ask about things for ourselves or ourselves. And then there's an appendix that's related uh, to one of those things. That's what what the Lord's Prayer is. We'll take it. This is the content. He's not giving us say these words. What would happen there? He's not giving us a say these words. He's giving us a framework for prayer. First, I'll go back one for me, Sam, would you? I'm sorry. First, the address. Uh, Jesus said, here's when you pray, you can go to God like this. Our Father who art in heaven. Because we all still say it in the King James. Um, Here's what he was saying. First, this this is not the words you have to say. I don't want you to think, hey, sometimes when I pray, I don't call him our Father in heaven. Am I doing something wrong? No. We can find other prayers in the Bible where God is addressed differently. What Jesus is communicating, though, is if you're my follower, Jesus says, God has become approachable to you. Father sounds very formal. The word's not that formal. It's more like dad. Jesus says, if you're my follower, you have... You can call, you can approach God as your dad. Loving, caring, he's involved, he's concerned. But your dad's in heaven. <laughs> Our father in heaven tells us he's approachable, but he also transcends all things and our situations and our problems. So he's approachable, but I don't think we approach him flippantly because he's. He's our Father in heaven. This would have been shocking to the first century Jew. That you can, when you pray, say, Hey, Dad, I think, you know the, the record scratch sound something in old TV shows when somebody did something shocking and it'd go, and everybody would look like, Whoa, what just happened? I think when Jesus said, Hey, when you guys pray, you say, Hey, Dad, I think everybody would have went like, What? when Christ has paid the penalty for your sins, the judge of the universe becomes your, just be, your dad. He's approachable like that. All right, that's the address. Next, 
Jesus gets into the, the content of what is, what is prayed. These are three you petitions, or three things we ask that are more about God than they are about us. If, when I was talking about the Lord's Prayer, and I grew up saying the Lord's Prayer in church every Sunday. You know, I'm not really making light of that. But, you know, if I call, when I called that meaningless repetition, if you were a little bit offended, let's put this to a little bit of a test. What does hallowed be thy name mean? Like, if you can't define out what the word hallowed means, and you repeated that for most of your life, I'm going to go ahead and call that meaningless repetition. And listen, this is not a throwaway introductory line, my opinion here. Hallowed be thy name is the most important part of the whole prayer. And if you now know, because your vocabulary has stretched, what the word hallowed means, I'll bet you didn't for most of your life when you were saying it. And even if you know that part, I'll bet you get the name part wrong too. I always did. Hallowed be thy name. It's the most important part. What's it mean? The only other place, it's, a, it's an archaic word. Nobody uses this word. It really was never very common in English. The only other place I remember it like famously is it's in the Gettysburg Address. From history class, uh, Gettysburg Address, that's the one that starts four score and seven years ago. Abraham Lincoln, right? Abraham Lincoln went to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania to dedicate a cemetery um, to the Union soldiers who died at the Battle of Gettysburg. And so he gets there, after a little introduction, he says, we're here to dedicate a cemetery, and it's right that we do this. And then he gives us a really good definition for the word hallowed. Famously, Abraham Lincoln says this. So we're here to dedicate this cemetery. Then he says this, but in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hallow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. You know what the word hallow means? It means to dedicate, to consecrate, um, to make it special, to make it number one. That's what hallow means. So we're supposed to make God's name we're supposed to dedicate that in our hearts. It's supposed to be number one, special, foremost. Now, we still don't know what hallowed be thy name means because we probably walked in here with the wrong idea for what name means in this context. The word name, like my name is Matt, but this is more like my name around town. Like if I ask you what's you know what's my name like around town, you wouldn't say it's Matt everywhere, you idiot, right? Uh, the name, someone's name in the scriptures usually refers to their identity, their character, their reputation. Clearest way we see this in the scriptures, Isaiah nine six. Uh, you, you, we're about ready to start hearing it because it's a, it's a nice Christmas time verse. I do not know why that keeps happening. Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah's predicting the Messiah. And Isaiah says, For to us a child is born. 
A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. How many of you ever heard that and said, I thought his name was Jesus? Right? That's because name means, that that is Jesus' name. Because his identity, his character is Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. All right, so if we put all that together, what, is it, what does hallowed be thy name mean? It means I go in prayer to God and remind myself and say to him, God, I want your identity to be preeminent in my heart and everywhere else. I want to set you apart as the most special thing in my life, and I want to see that done elsewhere too. I want your reputation, your renown, your identity, your character to be number one here and everywhere else. And here's why I say that is the most important part of the prayer. It controls the rest of it. If I don't have that part done, the rest of my prayer will be off. I'll show you what I mean. First, hallowed be thy name. Second, thy kingdom come. When I pray thy kingdom come, here's what I'm praying to God. God, because I want your reputation and character and identity known, that means I want people to become part of your kingdom. Uh, The kingdom in the book of Matthew is going to be really important as we move forward. Right now, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus told us that. We just exist right now in the, in the mystery or the mustard seed form of the kingdom where it's here it's just it's kind of a secret people don't know who the real king is a day is coming when the kingdom will be inaugurated jesus is coming back you know that he is coming back and he will destroy everything that opposes him and he will set up the best government anybody's ever seen in their lives right and that that is the full inauguration of the kingdom of God. When I pray thy kingdom come, if I've hallowed the name of God, I want it to be number one in my life and every place else. What that also means is I want people to know about the king. I want people to be a part of the kingdom now. And God, what I'm really looking forward to is the day you start your kingdom. And I'm much more concerned about that than me building my kingdom. I'm much more concerned with your plans than mine. I'm much more concerned with your organization being built than mine. If I've done those two things, the third one's almost automatic. So how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. At this point, if I've done the first two, this is almost automatic. Uh, Your name is hallowed. Your uh, reputation and your identity is what I want people to know so that your kingdom is built before your kingdom comes. And because that's my focus, now God, will you show me what your will is for my life? Now that those two things are my main focus. I say this all the time. There's a huge difference in life between me just doing my own thing by my will and trying to be good and really being thy will be done kind of person. 
And I think the, the, the most common way to live a Christian life is do whatever you want, just be good. Jesus said, no, you're supposed to have God's name hallowed in your life. You're supposed to be about his kingdom. And then you say, what do you want with my life? What do you want with my day? What do you want with my marriage? What do you want with my kids? Part of prayer should be asking God what his will is so that we can do it. But if his name's not hallowed and I'm not about his kingdom, I probably won't be about the right will. Does that make sense? Those are the three um, you petitions. You know, the prayers in the Bible are pretty God-centered. First half of the prayer is mostly about God and me getting my heart in line with his. Next, Jesus says, here's how you pray for yourselves. Before we go through those three things, I want you to notice something. Where, that's the, the text, the second half, the we petitions, the stuff about us, how we ask for stuff. Where does Jesus tell us that we're supposed to take prayer requests and pray for one another? It's in there. It really is. You know where it is? The entire thing. Let me ask this a different way. See if you'll pick up what I'm putting down here. Where in that does Jesus say, you pray for something for just you? Look at the pronouns in the whole Lord's Prayer. Are they singular? Me, I, or are they plural? We, our. You know why we want to be involved in people's lives? We want to ask, what can we pray for? How else am I supposed to pray for our needs? If I don't know, I can't pray. Listen, it's okay to pray for things for yourself. Right? It's okay. We're told that elsewhere in the scriptures, but this is about corporate. Prayer is a team sport. It's about us praying for one another's needs. First one, give us today our daily bread. God, will you give us what we need? And by the way, if I've done the first half of the prayer... I might, first, I might come up with different things I need. Because if I've done the first half of the prayer, you know what I need? I need to be about God's kingdom. I need to be about His will if I've hallowed Him. So now what do I need? Well, that might be different than before I prayed that. Because before, I was just trying to build my kingdom. And now, my, now that I understand what I'm supposed to be about, my needs are different. But it's okay to pray for what you feel like you need. God knows already. He wants to hear it from you, from us. I'm going to take the last two out of order. Skip the second one. Third one, Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. First, quick Greek lesson. There's no difference. In the Greek, there's one word that means trial and temptation. Okay, we've all recited this, lead us not into temptation. Just understand the way Jesus said it. A trial that comes from God is, is covered too. Here's the thing Jesus is saying. If I've done the first half, of the ver- first half of the prayer, I want what God wants. I'm about His will and His kingdom. And if there is a trial or a temptation that is a part of His will and His kingdom, 
then, I, then I'm game for that because I trust you. But apparently, apparently we face trials and temptations maybe ordinarily we wouldn't if we hadn't asked to be spared from them. Isn't that interesting? Why would Jesus say, why don't, hey, why aren't you praying to not be led into... I think, well, this gets ignored, honestly. Be honest. How many of you pray, God, lead me not into temptation, deliver me from evil? Specific things. Um, and finally, time-wise, we better jump to the last one. In the middle there, Jesus says this. I'm going to tra- translate this into modern English a little bit. This is the DMV, the dumb Maxwell version. Okay? God, Dad... And I'll do this singularly. We, I want you to forgive me as good as I forgive other people. That's what, did, you, did you know that's what you were saying all those years? God, will you forgive us just as good as we forgive other people? How many of you want to go back and change your mind about how you prayed that? Don't you want God to forgive you a lot better than you forgave others? This is intentional. That is what Jesus says and here's why he says it, not because that's, because that's all, it's the only way it works anyway. He adds, a, uh, he adds an appendix, I think, to this, because I think he anticipates our question, like, whoa, wait, whoa, what? I'm only supposed to pray for God to forgive me as good as I am at forgiving other people? And that's why Jesus says, here, here's why I said that a second ago, verses 14 and 15. If you fail to forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father... Excuse, excuse me, if you forgive other people, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive other people, their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That is terrifying. Does this mean that if I don't... I'm going to save that. Don't miss the main idea because you're scared that you're going to go to hell if you forget to forgive somebody. Here's the main idea. We're supposed to be forgivers. And you know how we're supposed to forgive? In prayer. When's the last time you prayed something like this? God. God, will you, I want to forgive Dwayne for what Dwayne did. And maybe I was so angry and it hurt. So I'm going to give up my right to punish Dwayne back for what he did. Uh, God, I pray, I'm going to give up my right to become Dwayne's enemy. And I pray that you would take back the part of my heart that was controlled by hatred and bitterness. Because I want you hallowed in my heart. And you and bitterness don't go together. Do you pray that stuff? Now here's the scary part. All right. Ultimately, you're not going to go to heaven because you've remembered to forgive everybody. You're not going to heaven because of anything you do. You're going to heaven if you believe that when Jesus went to the cross, he was being punished for all of your sins, including unforgiveness. Right? Jesus said, all sins will be forgiven you. All. If you believe, you take by faith what he did he did for you but 
the Bible's very clear that there are earthly consequences for sin. Sometimes consequences get forgiven. Right? It's like in the court system. Um, I can have consequences if I break the law. Sometimes a judge will forgive those consequences. Right? And we're going to see this much more clearly later in the book of Matthew, so I don't want to belabor this. But here's what Jesus will teach. When you, are not, when you don't forgive someone, you are going to walk in the consequences of that unforgiveness until you forgive that person. It's not going to keep you out of heaven, but your heart is not going to, God's not going to be hallowed in that part of your heart. You're going to lose control of that area of your heart. Um, I grew up with an unforgiving heart. And it was later in my life before I realized it wasn't that one person who hurt me that I'm taking this out on. It's everybody else that I come into contact with in my life. As soon as I had a boss I disagreed with, I treated him just the way I treated that person in my past. It hurt me. Here's what I learned. If I don't become a forgiver, I'm going to walk around with an unforgiving heart. And it's going to hurt his will in my life and my ability to work for his kingdom. How's your prayer life? Answer this not out loud. Scale of one to ten, how's your prayer life? We've got a bunch of twos and ones and liars. That's all we have here this morning. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, We're going to practice this. It's a little bit unusual. Uh, I'm going to ask Zoni to come up and man the pianos. Um, Zoni's our two-headed piano player. Um, (laughs) We're going to celebrate communion. And we have open communion. Here's what that means. If you, when I was talking about what Jesus did for you at the cross, if you believe that and trust in that for your salvation, then this time of communion is for you. He died for you. And he just said, as often as you guys do this, will you remember what I, what I did for you? And that's what we're doing. We're going to do something a little different before the bread and before the cup, though. We're going to use the Lord's Prayer in church for what it was meant for. While the bread comes around, I'm going to leave this part on the the screen. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's what I want to invite you to do. We're not going to sing. Those are the only words that are going to be on on the screen. While the gals play, I just want to give you some time. Glance up and look at that. Hallowed be your name. All right, that means God's supposed to be number one and his, his reputation, his character, his identity is to be preeminent in my life. Spend some time telling God you want that. Then glance back up. It's your kingdom come. I want to be about your kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we'll do the second half for the others. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, bow your heads. I'll let them uh, start praying. And I'll, I'll lead us into this time while the uh, elders come forward to help me pass out uh, communion. Lord Jesus, we to a person in here probably don't feel like we have a prayer life like we should and we know that we are missing out on a connection with our dad 
Dad, we love you. We know that you saved us. And we know the best thing for us is to be square in the center of your will. Lord, uh, for some of us, it's been a long time since we met you in a sweet time of prayer. So right now, Lord, while we pass the emblem of the body that you gave to save us from our sin and forgive us, while we pass that around and remember you, Lord, I just pray you would commune with us in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, may your name be hallowed. your kingdom be built here and bring that day where it comes fully to the earth quickly, Lord. God, we want to be about your will on earth the way it's done in heaven. God, hear your people while we pray in Jesus' name.